Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. So our reading this morning is Luke, uh, Ruth, uh, chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So, he gleaned in the f- so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And what have you, where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, the, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We are on a journey through the book of Ruth. It's a great story in the Old Testament, uh, but so much to learn about how uh, this few people navigated life under a good God. Uh, So we're going to spend some time thinking about that and what that means for us today. Please let me just uh, ask in prayer that God will guide us through this. Dear Father God, just thank you for the encouragement we've received this morning. We thank you for being a good, loving Father God to us. But Lord, we've got to confess that often when it comes to uh, living the blessed life, living the good life, living knowing that you're in full control, Lord, sometimes we're confused, we're, we're troubled even. So, Lord, we ask that you would guide us in this moment to, to process uh, how you work in the world. And we pray that you'd speak to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. What have you got to do to get the blessed life? What have you got to do to get the good life? What is it to it? How do I get God's attention that good things might happen to me? There's lots of advice that you can get, uh, even in Christian circles. There's seven secrets to a blessed life. 
uh, more books, uh, more books, Seven Keys to the God-Blessed Life, different book, but more tips. Uh, there's even the seven Bible studies. There's even mugs you can buy, and yes, you can even buy seven of them as well, just to be sure we get it right. But there's signs we can put up in our house, there's tea towels we can use, there's doormats you can put to say, God, I want to be blessed, this house is a place of blessing and let it be blessed, I'm going to label it everywhere. And here's a Father's Day tip, if you haven't got your dad a Father's Day present and you want him to be blessed, a tattoo, a neck tattoo, just to show everybody that you are blessed or at least you're saying, God, I'm wearing it, I'm owning it, bless me. It's really hard, isn't it? You can do all these things and what does it look like to get a blessed life? Where is God that's going to make this all happen? How does he work? How do we uh, get this life that we all so desire? In the book of Ruth, being blessed is uh, one of the big themes. In fact, uh, in the Hebrew, it was written in the Hebrew language, um, about 1300 BC. Uh, In this season of life, uh, blessed and kindness are the same root word so they're kind of interchangeable and that's the way we understand blessed is if i bless you i'm showing you kindness or if if god blesses me god's showing me kindness so as you read through ruth and look at the words you know wherever it talks about being blessed or whether it's talking about being shown kindness we should sit up and get our attention to go what's it trying to teach me here because here's the flyover where it's at so far and sort of building the drama in chapter one We had Naomi and her family move away from God's people in in Judea to a place called Moab. Things went bad. Her husband died. Her two sons died. She comes back with a a daughter-in-law called Ruth. And when she comes back to Bethlehem to be uh, in God's place and with God's people, this is how she's feeling. She's not feeling blessed. So in chapter 1, verse 20, she says, Don't call me Naomi. She wants to change her name. She told them, Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. That's what Mara means. Call me bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So we get to the end of chapter 1. This is meant to be a good story to encourage us, to build us up. And we get one of the main characters going, call me bitter. Because I'm not being blessed at all. I went away full and now I've come back empty. I've got nothing. Husband's dead. Sons are dead. It's kind of built up this big question. And we get to the end of chapter 1 asking the question, well, how is God going to resolve this? Where is God in these kind of moments? We hit chapter 2 last week. And Ruth is the daughter-in-law. She goes out to glean the field. And we get some little hints that maybe something's going on. She goes to works in any field where she can find some food and somebody will show her kindness. But it just so happens, just so happens, what good fortune, what good luck, some might say, that she ended up in the field of Boaz. Boaz is a good godly man. And things start to play out really well in that uh, she's looked after, like it was alluded to in the Bible reading we had, going out into the field, because Ruth is a young widow, young woman, she's a foreigner, she doesn't know anybody, she could easily be taken advantage of, but she ends up in the field of Boaz. Boaz looks after her, keeps her safe, keeps the men away, keeps her with the women, and she's able to glean, which is, you know, picking up the scraps of food, she's able to find something to eat. Now, things are starting to, is this looking good? Are things getting better? 
And I don't know if you've ever been in that sort of situation where you go, God, you know, help me with this issue and you kind of make decisions and you're moving forward and it looks like things are getting better but you don't want to get too excited. You just don't know if it's really going to work out or not. We hope it is. We hope this is a good path but we just, let's just wait and see because this, we could be getting our hopes up and just being disappointed again. This is where we pick up the story. Uh, she's still in the field. This is still this, this same day where she's gone out the field. She's met this amazing guy, Boaz. And we're going to find out a little bit more about Boaz because it's lunch break in the field. All the workers stop. Boaz calls them all around. Let's have some lunch. We could say, because Boaz and, and Ruth have had some good positive conversations, this story of Ruth is a bit of a romance story. If you're following the romance story, this is kind of like their first date because Boaz is going to call her over to have lunch with him. And this is how it goes down. Pick it up at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it into the wine vinegar. Uh, if you're here last week, I shared with you, I had some doubts about Boaz's charisma and how he deals with women. His pickup line wasn't that great, and now I'm not even sure whether he remembers her name. Come over here. I have to talk to Ruth. Have, join us at the table. This is a big deal. And he, she comes and sits down with the harvesters. He offers her some roasted grain. This is really good, roasted grain in that day. That was a special treat. And she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Like he filled up a plate so much. She's just, because she's there, because she's hungry, right? She's poor, she's got no food. She's there gleaning, picking up the scraps to have food for tomorrow. But yet she give, gives this amazing meal. And she eats. And he's full. Now... As far as first dates go, there's not a lot of conversations. In fact, it lasts, what, two verses. Uh, then this is kind of over. But what Boaz lacks in conversation skills, he makes up with hospitality. So he treats her really well. Now, if you know a little bit about what was going on for Israel at that time, you might say, well, he should have. Jews, or the Israelites, were given specific instructions by God to look after foreigners, widows, the poor. They had to do it. God cares about the poor, so he put in law in Deuteronomy and a number of other books in the Old Testament that farmers particularly, when they grow their crops, when they go through and harvest the crops, leave some on the ground for the poor, uh, poor widows, the foreigners can come and glean. Let's pick up the scraps. It's law that they should do it because God wants that to be a part of their culture, part of their society. There is no social security system like we have today. So God says, I care about the, the fringe people, the poor, so I want you to do this. So in a sense, what Boaz has been doing by letting her into the field, by letting her glean, uh, by picking up the scraps, just by letting her be there, he's fulfilling the law. Box ticked, I've done it. I've done everything God requires of me. But he's not just doing that, is he? He's going beyond that, well beyond that. Uh, last week we saw how he was protecting her, uh, keeping her safe. He gave her instructions and company, stay with the girls, they'll look after you. Uh, drink the water, drink the water the men's going to give to you. He was, you don't do that for just letting somebody just 
pick up the scraps. He goes beyond that. And now this picture we have here is like the CEO of a company because Boaz seems quite wealthy. He's a landowner. He's telling everybody else to do. He's the CEO and he's invited her in for the executive lunch. She's like the, the work for the doll lady that nobody really wants to talk to or get to know. He's like, no, no, come to the executive lunch. Look, the drinks are flowing. The food, there's plenty of food, fine food, lots of it, so much you can have leftovers afterwards. He's not just ticking the box, I'm doing this because I have to. He's going way beyond that. He's showing hospitality, showing kindness because he wants to. It just goes on. This man Boaz is just going on in blessing her, showing kindness to her. And it just gets better and better. Because then, as she leaves... She's left the room. He says to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. The sheaves, so what happens is the harvesters come along, uh, they cut, if you think wheat, uh, they cut the stalks down low, so you've got the, the head of wheat and then you've got the long stalk, and then they bundle it up, tie it really tight together, uh, so, and they leave it the bundle there for somebody else to come and pick up and collect. And if you're a good harvester, you don't leave much scraps so what God is saying when you, when you harvest, leave some scraps for the poor people to come and collect. They'll, at least they'll get something. But what Boaz is saying, no, no, actually let her pull some out of the sieve. The bundles, you've already cut, you've already bundled. If you see her pulling stuff out of the sheaves, out of the bundles, just let her do it. Actually, I've got a better idea, he says. Why don't you guys, after you've bundled it up so it's all neat and tidy, why don't you pull some out and then just lie it around there? So all she has to do, she doesn't even have to look for it. She can just pick it up and bundle it up. He doesn't have to do this. The law says just let her be there. But he does it because he wants it. He says, I want this girl to be blessed. I want you to show kindness to her. I want her to leave full. I want her to have lots of food. And out of this, make lots of money possibly just to, to make sure we're looking after her. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. He could have just, do what a lot of us do, just prayed for her. May it go well with you and just let her go. Because there was a little prayer. He did pray for her, what we saw last week. So in the morning of this day, let, let's just have a flashback. So in verse 12. He's talking to her and he prays for her. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be, be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a great prayer. Great prayer to pray for anyone. May the Lord But notice the emphasis. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord reward, reward you. He could easily say, well, I've prayed for you. It's up to God now and walk away. I mean, I've been tempted to do that lots of times. When you pray for people, you go, I can't deal with this. Walk away. It's so tempting to do. He could have done that. Job done. I've prayed for her. But no. He shows kindness and then shows her more kindness. Come for lunch. Have plenty of food. Be full. Have leftovers. Make sure that in the afternoon you're going to get plenty of grain. We want to make sure that happens. He goes well beyond that, well beyond his obligation. Protects her, provides for her, prays for her, cares for her. And now this more, well, I want you to go away full. It sort of begs the question a little bit, doesn't it? And this is what I feel like Ruth does. It invites us into the story to go, what would I have done if I was Boaz? 
Or, what, how am I like Boaz today? Do I show this kind of generosity, this kind of kindness, this attitude of blessing others, not because you have to, but because you want to? And just go way beyond your obligations. How do I measure up to a guy like Boaz in his kindness, the way he blesses her? That's the picture of Boaz. But you also might be thinking, well, it's easy for Boaz because he's the rich businessman, right? He's got opportunities to do that. Well, let's have a look at Ruth and see how Ruth handles a situation. So verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field, so she's there picking up the scraps until evening. She didn't stop at lunch. She's gone to evening. And then she threshed the barley, so she goes to the floor and she's got the stalks where they beat the stalks to get all the seeds out. So she's threshing the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. They tell us today that's about 13 kilos of grain that she's picked up. That's not bad for a day of just scrapping. In fact, uh, the commentaries suggest that this is close to two weeks wages if you cashed it in. Like she's done really well for the day. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Like that's meant to go, wow, she's, wow. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over, uh, what she had left over after, e- after she had eaten enough. The lunchtime, the, the roasted grain, the nice stuff. She, you can imagine her just dropping the big bag of grain down on the table. Wow, that's impressive. And then pulls out the, have a pot. here's the doggy bag that I got back to you for lunch, for food, because I want to eat food now. This is huge. She would have started the day thinking, we're poor, we've got no money, we're hungry, we need some food to eat. Maybe if I go and glean, we might, save some, we might get some food for today, and maybe if we're fortunate, food for tomorrow as well. Now, she's got equivalent to two weeks' wages, so much grain they could sell it and make some money. And the excessive amount is like, yeah, I, I was there, I had lunch, I ate all I could, and look, here's my leftovers, and look, Naomi, it's for you. And gives it to her mother-in-law. Her generosity, her kindness, goes beyond everything that she was obliged to do as well. If you were there, okay, put our situation, we're we're Ruth, we're in the field, we're hot, dry, it's not a job, I'm not getting paid for that, I just want some food for the day. You glean a bit, okay, have I got enough? The boss asked me, the CEO asked me up for lunch, I've had a great lunch. So not only I've got a bit of scraps for for food for tomorrow, I've got my lunch and I'm full, what would you do? I know I'd be thinking about going home at lunchtime because I've had a good day. But she doesn't. It's stressed. She kept working till evening. She was thrashing the floor till late in the evening. She does it. Not just, she could have said, wow, I've been blessed today because I've got enough food. But what does she do? No, I need to provide for Naomi, the old mother-in-law the cranky old mother-in-law that's at home. I'm going to bring stuff back for her. So she works all day to bless her, to show kindness to her. The other twist in this story is when we look at the, the family structures, and we've seen a little bit of each of the talks we've looked at so far. So who is, um, who is responsible for this household? Uh, so it's normally uh, the man is responsible for household. He's a protector provider is the best way of describing it. But because um, Naomi's husband had died, her sons had died, 
They have no male protective provider. Naomi falls into that position. We saw it last week when Boaz says to his offsider, who is that woman? Who does she belong to? Belong to is not like a slave, but who's her protector provider? And who is that? Naomi, she's the older woman. She's the protector provider. But who's providing here? Who's doing the work here? It's not Naomi, it's Ruth. Ruth is doing this not out of compul like she's doing it not because she's obliged to. She's not the protector provider, but she's providing for her older mother-in-law. Not because she has to, because she wants to. To show kindness, to bless her mother-in-law with all this stuff. To be Ruth, would, would we do the same thing? In that culture, work all day in the field. Just take this food back to your cranky mother-in-law. Well, how do we do it today? I've got a really nice mother-in-law, I should say. But how would we do it today? Would we do that for other people? I haven't got anything to give. We could take the attitude of, of, of Ruth in the morning. She's got no friends, no money, nobody to hit up for a loan. But what's she going to do? She's going to go out. I'm going to glean. I'm going to see what opportunities I get because I want to bless my mother-in-law. I want to provide for her. Is that the attitude we have? Or do we go, I've got no opportunity to bless or show kindness to everyone else. I'm empty. I've got no money, no friends, no opportunities. And that, that kind of lets us off the hook. Well, it doesn't for, for Ruth. How do we measure up when we think of somebody like Ruth and the way she blesses her mother-in-law? But then she goes home because there's a lot going on here. Uh, Ruth, uh, Naomi has just got all these questions. How did all this happen? Who did you go to? Where did you go to? So the mother-in-law asks her, so, uh, down verse 19, where did, you, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. That's how the day started. Maybe somebody's going to take notice of her and show her kindness. So she's going, man, who's being blessed? Uh, so it's Naomi getting all this food, the equivalent to lots of income, so she's got money and resources. Oh, and she's got this nice lunch, for what was leftovers from lunch to eat. She's got nothing to bless anybody else with. She's the poor older widow who's got nothing. But what's she doing? I can pray, God bless the man. God show kindness to that man. That's her prayer. She's actually praying a blessing onto someone else, using her, what she's got. And she's got the ability to pray, to call on God, to show thanks for that. So she says, blessed is the man. But who is the man, is the question. Ruth told her, uh, her mother-in-law about the one whose place uh, she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. It's like a big drum roll, this long build-up to get the word, to hear who it is. It's Boaz. Ah, so what does Naomi do? Her first reaction? I'm going to pray again, but more specifically. Lord, bless him. So now she knows who it is. She's going to say it again, call on God to bless him, show kindness to him, because she knows it's Boaz. Her prayers are more specific. She's going to pray for him in that moment. Calling on God to bless him. Bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. But then he said, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. We need to talk about that a bit later on. But then the tone changes a little bit because now she knows it's Boaz. So the tone changes, like the, the excitement, the joy, the jumping up and down. We've got food, we've got cash, we've got lunch, it's all good. Boaz, 
let me tell you something about Boaz. That man is our closest relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeemers. Uh, he's the one that could take in to be our protector provider. He's not at this point, he's not the closest kinsman redeemer, so he hasn't, he's not ignoring them, but he is a potential kinsman redeemer. This raises more questions we need to talk about, she says. What did you think of him? Ruth, the Moabite, said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all my grain. Like he's pretty much given me a job on the first day. This Boaz, is, he doesn't stop giving, does he? Just when you think you've seen how much he's generous and kindness, he just gives more. So, no, no, stay. This harvest season's going to last about six weeks. We've got six weeks worth of, of food and provision and I'm with Boaz. This is awesome. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women uh, who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. It's like Boaz seems to have a good reputation. He protects his workers, make sure they're safe. You'll be good working with him. Stick to him. But then we get this, this chapter is wrapped up with a bit of a summary verse, as most of the chapters do. A summary verse that says, so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. So for the next six weeks, she's there. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's a bit of a summary of the next six weeks. And it's good news and bad news. The good news is they're going to have food for the next six weeks. She's in a good position. You might say they are blessed. They've been shown kindness. The bad news is she's still with her mother-in-law. There's no kinsman redeemer has come in. The next six weeks, we don't hear Boaz and Ruth even talking to each other again. And if you're following the romance story, which is going to get juicier next chapter, you're starting to wonder, what's the deal with this romance? Is it, is it on? Is it not on? Because the way it's leaving here, there's six weeks and nothing else has happened. Where's it going? Where's that going? That's a bit of a teaser for next week. You've got to come back next week, hitting the whole of chapter three. But it leaves us with a couple of questions, a couple of big issues where is god where is god in the story because everyone seems to be blessing everyone else but god seems to be vacant why do we read god into it at all and the other question well how do i get blessed how do i get in a position of of ruth and boaz and naomi where how does that look in my life so the first one where is god when all this goes down because we started the story with uh Ruth, come, uh, Naomi coming back empty and we had lots of questions. Where is God? What is God doing? And we hit the end of chapter one, sort of thinking, is God going to turn this situation around because it looks really bad, particularly for Naomi. Buried her husband, buried her two sons. And she's come back with nothing. She's empty and she's bitter. How's God going to turn this around? But then we get to chapter 2, the writer has given us a couple of little hints. At the end of chapter 1, there's just that little line, well, it just happens to be barley season, harvest season. That's a good little hint, that maybe now's a good time for God to, to bless them in that season. Another little hint where Naomi went out into the field, she says, I just want to find a field where someone would show kindness to me and I can glean and pick up some scraps. It just so happens, it says, she ended up in the field of Boaz, a good godly man, who now we know is one of the redeemers. 
So it just so happens, it doesn't mention God led her to, God made her walk past all these other farms to end up in the field of Boaz. It kind of just so happens. Is that chance? Is it good luck? Well, God seems to have his fingerprints all over this story. Because when we get to Naomi's explanation at the end of chapter 2, it's contrasted to the end of chapter 1. Chapter 1, bitter, I'm empty. God has put me in this position. Chapter 2 in verse 20 uh, which we kind of skipped over, we're coming back. The Lord bless him, she said, talking about uh, that's clearly Boaz because he's provided for Ruth. But then she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That's the NIV version that we have. But even there, there's a little ambigu- ambiguity. Who's the he? Who has not stopped showing kindness? A more literal reading, because remember it's Hebrew and we're translating it. May he be blessed by the Lord. Yes, talking about Boaz. May Boaz be blessed by God, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. So there's still ambiguity. Is it talking about God's kindness or Boaz's kindness to the living and the dead? That's uh, that's Naomi and her family, because half her family are dead now. Um, So if it was Boaz, the logic goes, if it was talking about Boaz... Wouldn't we have heard about? We've heard all this surprising stuff about Boaz. He's a main character. You would have thought that we heard, oh yeah, Boaz has been doing this nice, kind stuff ever since they walked back into Bethlehem. But it doesn't talk about that. We first meet Boaz on the harvest field. So it reads more likely that she's talking about God. So may Boaz be blessed by the Lord, but she's talking about the Lord. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's kind of... Could be one or the other, but it seems to be pointing very much. She's now had a change of heart. She can now see. She's in a very different situation to chapter 1, coming back empty and bitter, where now she's going, actually, I can see now that God's fingerprints are all over this. God's kindness has been shone through all these things, not just to me, but even to my dead husband and my dead sons. I can see now God's been kind to us all through all that experience. Things have flipped around it's not just where is god he's nowhere to be seen but actually in hindsight i can see god's been showing kindness and blessing me through this the whole time including the funerals of my husbands and sons so god's been there god is the ultimate blesser through this god's looked after he's been there bring us back in the harvest season he's bring uh, he's been there by, by Ruth going to the field. He's been there in providing Boaz for us. God's responsible for all those things. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. There's no obligation for God to do anything in this story. But he does show kindness to Naomi. So God is there. But also there's a question... What does it mean to be blessed? How do I get my life turned around like Ruth and Naomi? Because there's some interesting things going on there that we can learn a lot from as well. Because it's a question we often ask about how can I put myself in a position to, to be blessed, to get the good life, to get the easy life. But actually that question doesn't even come across the main characters of the story, not Boaz, not Ruth, not Naomi. Who's Boaz? He's a hard-working businessman. He goes into the field, he's working with his workers. He's got money, but it's never about him. His money, his, 
his position is never about him. He's been always there to bless. And if you hear last week, you, the way he talked to his workers, blessing his workers, the way he's protecting the women, the way he's making sure they've got plenty of food and plenty of provision. Boaz is always looking for opportunities to show kindness to other people. It's not just this strange girl that's turned up called Ruth. He's actually showing kindness to everybody. It's never about him. Would you say Boaz is blessed in this story? You'd say he's blessed. He didn't pursue it. It just happened. Partly because he's looking to bless others. What about Ruth? Was Ruth going out into the field to find the easy life, to feel the, find the good life? No, no, she's going out in the field to find food for her and her mother-in-law. It was, if, it was, if it was about Ruth, she would have gone home at lunchtime. She's had a good feed of the nice grain and the nice drink and she's all full. But it's not about Ruth. It's about supplying the needs of her mother-in-law. She's trying to bless her mother-in-law, show kindness to her mother-in-law. And would you say Ruth is blessed? Yeah, Ruth is blessed through this story. But it was never about her pursuing it and chasing it, but showing kindness to others. What about Naomi? She has nothing, nothing to offer. She sounds like an older widow that she can't go out to work. What's she got to, to think about or to offer? Well, she gets, when Ruth brings home the grain, it's not just food for today and food for tomorrow, it's income, it's also the leftover food that she can eat, which is you know, the special stuff. Has Naomi been blessed? Yeah, Naomi's been blessed. At the start of the day, she was starving with nothing. But did Naomi set out to be blessed and have the good life, to have the easy life? No, no, she's quick. She doesn't even tuck into the food. She's quick to bless Boaz. Lord, show kindness to him. She's quick to pray and call on God for somebody else. It's never about her. There's something going on in all these characters. It's never about them. Self-promotion, self-gratification, my dreams, my wants, my life. It's all about how can I use my opportunities to bless others, to show kindness to others. What about God? Is it all about these people just blessing each other so it kind of works? Where's God in this that does it? Well, he is the one, as we saw in, in verse 20, that's going back over the one who's had his hand over all these things. So I think sometimes we've got a question, what, what do you mean by wanting the, the good life, the blessed life, the easy life? Because when we look at the characters of the story, they're not using that language. But they seem to be full of joy, full of blessing for each other, but for themselves, praising God in that moment. Maybe that's more of the attitude we should have. Not do it because we have to. Oh, if you want to be a good Christian, you have to do all these things, but because we want to. And this is where this transformation happens. It's not about just being a good, nice person, but it's letting God actually take over our heart and shape our heart. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a minute and, and what that does is uh, points us back to what Jesus did that made us this new creation, that brought us into the family, that's given us this new heart that we can show kindness and, and bless others. I want to take you to a bit of the New Testament in Titus chapter 3. If you unpack this, it's a little bit of a New Testament version, version of the story for Ruth, for our version. He starts off saying, you know, talk, talking about people in poverty who are empty and got nothing spiritually he says at one time we too were foolish we were disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated 
and hating one another. You might deny it, but often we get that stirring feeling on the inside, it is about me, it is about my kingdom, and I don't want them to stay in the road, and it's fight, fight for everything you've got. That's us. But then, what's happened? But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us, not because of our righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. The kindness and love of our God, our Saviour, appeared. When Jesus appeared, come showing this kindness, this blessing to us. He changes our life around, takes away the old, the empty, the bitter, you might say, from Naomi, and transforms us through his death and resurrection. He dies to the old self for us and gives us this new life, not because we deserved it. It's not, I'm a law-abiding Christian. I do this, this good stuff. I deserve to be called righteous. No, no, no. It's because of the things, because of his mercy. We've never been good enough. It's not because he had to die for us, but because he wanted to die for us to give us this new What does this new life look like? It goes on. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. Gives you an image of that grain, doesn't it? Let me give you the good stuff, and not just a little bit, but you'll be overflowing in it. Pours us, uh, the, the Spirit, out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour from him dying for us on the cross, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. There is this kinsman redeemer aspect. They're going to hope now that Boaz comes to the party and be their protector provider, that he can be leading their family. What does Jesus' death on the cross do for us? Welcome to the family. We're now part of the family, heirs of eternal life. He's given that to us in abundance, overflowing, all because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because us, not because of our goodness. We are blessed that he has showed kindness on us, taken us from empty and made us full. That's what he's done. That's something we should praise God for. Dear Father God, I do thank you for your overwhelming love and compassion and kindness on us. That you would send your son, Jesus, into our world, a world messed up, corruption and hurts. Lord, we confess that we've all contributed. I've contributed to that and I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for not trusting you, for not listening to you, for wanting what I want and not what you want for me. But Lord, I just thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that he took the punishment that each of us deserve through his body being broken, through his blood being shed. That through that amazing act, that through his resurrection and the assurance of forgiveness of sin, the assurance that death has been defeated, the assurance of eternal life, Lord, our world changed as Jesus died and rose again for us. But Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit as you said filled to overflowing that you would make us this new creation this new person with a new heart lord help us to show acts of kindness and compassion to others not because we have to to prove ourselves but because we want to because that's the god who you are and the person you're making us into be 
Lord, help us to be a church that shows that love, your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.